Welcome back to the Deep AIX podcast. This is podcast number 19. I'm Ashley. I'm here with Andres. Today, we're talking about buying businesses. So um, it's been a little while since we've done the last podcast. And uh, what we've recently been looking at is using our skill set to find businesses similar to what we've been building, but potentially buying them. Um, So today, we're going to be talking about that, exactly what we're looking for what our plan is, how they're going to be financed. And um, obviously on later podcasts, we'll talk about the ones potentially that we buy. So um, uh, first things first, um, what are we looking for? Uh, So initially, we're kind of looking in our circle of competence, which is tech businesses, whether that's software as a service businesses, uh, e-commerce, affiliate sites, but we're also looking broader than that as well. But that's kind of our area of expertise. So we're looking at those businesses. We're looking at those businesses online, on marketplaces. So there's a bunch of these marketplaces online. Um, the most popular one is Flipper. There's another one called Empire Flippers. And there's kind of another handful of, of those that have live prices. Kind of think of it as an eBay for buying businesses. Um, that's kind of uh, where we're looking and what we're looking for. Um, maybe it'd be good on us to talk about what is actually worth buying because most things out there are not worth buying. Right. Um, in in general terms, like what, what, what's, what's something good for us to buy? Do you think? Um, well, yeah, I think something that we, uh, understand, Mm -hmm. um, something that's cheap basically because i think if we pay too high a price for small businesses the risk is very high so um i think that could be a could be a big mistake to like uh start you know getting excited about an idea and then just projecting it to be the next google or something and never happens really so no i i agree with that i agree with that i mean what why are they selling it you know if they if it was going to be the next big thing they wouldn't be selling it right it's probably got terminal growth but you're buying it's a very good investment quote unquote on paper for the money you put in for what you get out per year it's a good investment but it's not necessarily uh something that will grow to be massive yeah yeah exactly so it's a good invest. I mean, yeah, if you, I mean, it's strange that someone would sell a business that makes 20,000 in cash per month and then you sell that business for 50,000. I mean, if that was really true, why wouldn't you just keep it for three months? I mean, yeah, that, that I think is, um, that I think is dodgy, but I think anything kind of in the one and a half to two times earnings above is uh is 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 legit i think anything below that is probably too cheap <laughs> yeah i think so i mean uh, exactly like if the i mean i don't know like there could be a legit reason to sell it at such a low price but there could also be a lot of you know fraud and i think there is a lot of fraud actually that's the truth yeah. so 
I think it's a very large weighting of fraud, probably 80% or something crazy. Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. That's what I would definitely try to avoid is like, I mean, basically, it's like trying to figure out which ones are shit and then immediately stop paying attention to them because you could be like researching ideas that, you know, spend a lot of time on ideas. And it's like, it's like bond investing. It's like you need to find not, you know, you don't need to find the ones that become Google. Like in bond investing, you can only recover the full, you know, full face value of the bond. So if you dismiss the ones that don't recover, then you've kind of done your job. That's how I see it. Yeah, and I guess added on to that is the uh, is the time investment. As in, if they don't have staff and they just have solo founders, but to to operate and run the business, even if it's at a high margin, maybe it's taking them eight hours a day. And if we bought it, we would just be taking on eight hours a day of work. Um, yeah, that's versus cool. something where you can put someone in place, or it's pretty minimal. Yeah. That's like what all the Samuel Leeds people are doing. They're not really investors. They're just trading their, um, you know, job for becoming a, basically sort of like a property their manager, own job, self-employed yeah. property manager. But that's not really like you're not an investor. You're only an investor if you have like the team set up. You don't have to do the work anymore. Yeah, the true kind of Kiyosaki um, definition of an investor, right, is when you're working on you're working on things instead of in them. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're purely making investment decisions and doing a lot of reading and a lot of screening versus actually doing any of the work. Um, yeah, exactly. I think so. Yeah, I think that's true. But, yeah, but but I think it's surprisingly possible in the limited searching and due diligence that we've done, I think it's certainly possible uh, to get something cheap and good with little work. Um, the question is, if you buy anything, is it still going to be throwing off cash in six months, 12 months, and 24 months? And that's the question that's hard to answer on a lot of these. Um, you know, especially the e-commerce ones, because they're mostly driven by some uh, optimization on Facebook ads. And that every quarter that changes because Facebook increased their CPM. Yeah. So you see these like big sways in revenue. Yeah. And then that potentially can just drop off a cliff because the traffic is not coming organically. It's coming from those ads. And then when, the ad providers like Facebook and Google change the CPMs. All of a sudden, you see the traffic just randomly drop, and all the sales randomly drop. Um, yeah, that's definitely not a good idea. I think anything where you're in this commodity game, I, I, as I already said, like when we talk separately, I wouldn't do. I agree. It's kind of the competitions for losers kind of area. Um, that we've discussed before, right? That's well, basically you what you're doing. Skill to like, all you have the skill to like do Facebook ads very profitably, but I, you know, I'm, I don't. 
So then I likewise I could uh, that's just like getting a you know buying a product where I know currently they have some optimized ad strategy, but when that stops, then the bet is like that that the ad strategy lasts long enough so I get my money back. <laughs> so, no, I mean well, yeah, exactly, yeah, like, exactly. So that's that's not something I I would want to do. I I don't think that's our our competence field. I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about ads. Let's let's put it this way. No, likewise. Um, yeah, I mean, th there's a lot. There's a lot of these. There's a lot of them out there. And um, to fit this criteria, you can you can find them, and they're kind of in this sweet spot where they're too small for any decent size investors to buy them. Um, so there's little competition, but they're also they're at a size where most of the people on these marketplaces who you know, maybe only have thousands aside or tens of thousands aside can't buy them. So they just end up staying on these marketplaces for long periods of time and not getting bought. So it's it's a very good spot, um, a very good spot in the market. So we'll we'll see we'll see what we find and what we can potentially buy. Um, yeah, maybe it'd be good to talk about um, how to reduce risk because I think your ideas are paramount in this area because um, there was two pieces you said, which was changing um, how much is put into the deal and also using smart financing. So maybe if you talk a little bit about that, like, yeah, you know, the earnouts um, and stuff, because I think this is really important for what we're doing just to beat it into my own head. Yeah. I, I don't, know exactly how to do it because it depends on what the other person is willing to do but again like if you're selling a business that's allegedly profitable then you should be willing to you know accept only part of the payment in cash and let like the new buyer finance some of the purchase price with the revenue or profit of the business I guess this is like a earn out or whatever it's called. Um, yeah. So I think that's one part to do it. Um, because, I mean, if the guy says, I'm selling you a business that's producing 100,000 in cash a year, then you can just say, okay, it's fine. I'll give you 50 up front and the other 50 over the next X months. And once if they say no... Like, then why do they say no? Especially if you say, look, I pay you 50 and then I pay you 75. But that 75 has to come out of the business. I mean, they would say yes to that because it's 25% more, right? Yep. The final, the final price is 25% more. So yeah, of course. Like, unless you, you know, unless you're like... Unless you're really worried about never getting that money, you would accept that, I think. I think it's a very good filter for um, whether the cash flows are reliable and if the founders are just quickly trying to get out before it hits the ground. Yeah, exactly. So that's filters again. It's the negative filter. like it filters. And if the guy says, no, I need the money now. I have a mortgage. I want this new thing. I want this and that. And then 
it's it's already bullshit to me. Yeah. Or like if he tries to put the screws on like this, then I'll just say, okay, good luck because you have to find somebody in the next three months. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we're willing to go ahead. And we're willing to go ahead. So what, like if he's willing to make that trade off, likelihood is that he's lying and that he knows that the cash, that the future cash flow is not there and that he wants to get the money and run. Yeah. So that's which one. I th- which I think is the truth for the majority of them. Yeah. So if the guy is not very flexible on on that stuff, then I think then he's probably a, a bullshitter. And mm-hmm. and um yeah and yeah you use other people's money right. Um, there's a lot of people I think that want to get in these kind of businesses but don't have the skill and don't have the time but have a lot of money and then i think it's fair that you know you pay some of your price with sweat equity like you say to an investor you put up the money and we put up the time to turn it around and then we share the profits when we sell it or if we keep it the dividends or whatever it's paying out yeah exactly I mean, what what do you, what do you think most um, most investors are looking for? What do you think that they want per annum on their money? What do you think is reason? What what, what does a reasonable investor want on their I money? I don't know. It depends on the on the sophistication of the of the people. Like there's like VCs that will probably want like thirty percent IRRs on these kind of businesses, and then there's uh-huh. I don't know. And then, then there's like just rich people, angel investors that are, you know, probably not even sure what they want. It just sounds like a good investment. And also the VCs, they will want an exit in the very, like in all cases, I think. And a, and a single guy might say, no, we can keep it if it just keeps on churning out money. And then there's the between, like family offices. I think they're probably more similar to VCs, but maybe they don't have an exit strategy or something like that. Yeah, so I don't know what they want. They will probably 20, 30%. 30%, no, 30% probably. Yeah, okay. So if you're buying them at three times earnings, that's basically you're hitting the goal, right? So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that assumes that you're not able to grow it or make it more efficient or something yeah yes yeah which which is my baseline assumption for all of them because i don't think you'd be selling them um in most cases i mean there is there is efficiencies that can be made certainly i've seen them already but i think most things that are not that don't hold any extra value are being sold um for that reason um yeah yeah exactly i don't I don't I'm just buy, that's my baseline. Yeah. I don't buy this argument. Oh, I created this new business and it makes me twenty K a month, but I'm more excited about something new. I mean fuck off, you know, like you're excited about doing something new uh, and now you know how hard it is to make something and you finally make money and I mean I don't believe it. Not easily. Yeah. I mean imagine yeah, if I, I told you I, we made like X in new business, would you say let's sell it as fast as possible? 
only if you believe well that we know that this is seasonal or like we had like exposure in like wired magazine and you know we got like a some windfall advertising and now we have a bump now let's sell it that's the most likely thing yeah i agree i agree i think um i think maybe the only ones that fit a kind of genuine criteria are things that people have had for a long time multiple years and they're just sick of it and bored of it and all they have to do is customer support and they don't work on it um, yeah. i think those ones fit the criteria um yeah other, yeah. Than, other, other than that I, I, I agree i think it's um mostly bs i mean yeah you have to you have to do a lot of screening um but yeah you should be very skeptical um yeah, and if there are two exciting areas, I, I find it like anything that's like, I don't know what's super exciting now, AI, you know, crypto, mm. uh, all of these kind of things. I'd rather have somebody who has something really boring and it's like the website looks like shit, like from 95 or, you know, the tech looks crap and they have have a big social media following and it just looks like they're just chucking along for like five years and yeah it's like they need a refresh yeah. yeah and he's like i can't i would need to do this and this and this and i can't be bothered and i know it's money but i also want to get into some new things or maybe go back to work or i don't know and you can really like i'd get more scared if it looks all very slick and all like marketing you know, like it looks all like riding polished. In, you know, like, like Peter Thiel says, actually, like a crypto SaaS business that's <laughs> AI based and runs in a hybrid cloud you know? <laughs> and has like 9,000%, you know, monthly user growth. <laughs> and makes 50K net cash, but I'm looking for something more exciting. I'm actually looking for one that flies in a space shuttle around the Earth in a hybrid cloud. And it's like <laughs> propelled by, I don't know, bananas. That <laughs> taps into. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, so that makes a lot of sense. And then the the financing piece. Um, uh, you spoke about where that would come from, but exactly how would that work? So the investors would put the cash in to buy, say, a percentage of the business and the rest we do with an earnout. And then what do the investors get? Do they get a fixed rate of return or do they get a JV where we share the profits? Or mm, what do you think is best? No, you can't. I don't think you can give anybody a fixed rate of return because nobody takes on this risk I mean, unless you say 100% guaranteed return, you know, I don't... Me, me, meaning, like, um, I'm, I'm using the analogous of obviously doing it for property, but, like, you would raise the money from an investor and say, you know, I'm going to buy this property, and you know that you're going to make, on average, a 18 to 20% return, cash on cash, and you pay the investor 8 or 10, and they're very happy, but they don't have to do anything. Yeah, but um, it's, it's property. It's like different. It's a very different thing. Different risk yeah, of course. from like uh, 
high high tech startup or yes. whatever it is. Fair, fair, fair. So I don't Very think true. anybody would do that. I think anybody would say like, I want equity type return. Yeah. So yeah, on the upside. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, uh, it depends. I don't know. Like, uh, you need to sell the thing. I mean, yeah, I, I would. S depends, like, how much you get away with, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I don't even know whether they would require you to put in any money, the investors. Maybe not if it's small enough. Because, I mean, keeping in mind, if you, I, and maybe, you know, my brother also work on it, then if we put time in and we are each on a, basing it on our last paycheck, and that paycheck <clears throat> is already, you know, higher now for me because I have, you know, more experience, then if they do do the calculation, we're putting in a lot of money. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually more money than they would be putting in, frankly. So. Yeah, if, if you just, I mean, if you just say, and these numbers are very underestimated, we all earned 100K and we all put in, let's say, one and a half days a week, that would that would be like five days or so. That would be like one full-time position. That would be 100K. Yeah. One year. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think the only thing that they may ask, which I think is reasonable, is just some skin, meaning like um, not yeah. necessarily even just uh, uh, not necessarily even just money, just like some kind of commitment, just so that they know that like, you know, it matters to us. If it means nothing to us, as in like, you know, it doesn't benefit us that much, then <laughs> we're not going to have the incentives to make it work. But, um, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's, and I think also for the investors, I mean, I'm basing this on people I know that are in property, but like they really, the amount that those guys look for. And I think if you had, if they had the opportunity to go into this space and make those kinds of returns, I think there's a lot of people I can already think in my head, multiple people I know that would be interested because, I mean, to even make a a twenty percent return on their money, they'd be with no work. They'd be like, "Of course, I'm in." <laughs> yeah, but um, no work, but the risk, right, goes up. Yeah. No, agreed, agreed. But I mean, across their whole portfolio, it's like it's very different. But I guess you know, it's got potential risk of permanent capital loss and all that kind of stuff. I guess, but yeah, yeah. I, I think if we do our job correctly. Um, that should rarely happen. It will happen, but it will very rarely happen. I think. If, yeah, if uh, you have enough different, yeah, balls that you have. Um, also, also it depends on the price, right? Because if you can buy these things at like, you know, a hundred percent return or just over, like you're going to get your money back within. Like the risk goes down each month, right? If you're pouring out the cash to the investors, they're yeah. literally just getting back their money within a year. Yep. Or less. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um that's true. It's pretty insane. Um I yeah. I, and, again, I think the and main they still own the equity. If you buy something on the next day it's 
and the ads stop working. So commodity businesses are for me not something I would personally do. I but I, th I think if you went into this space without really thinking about it, it's a bit of a minefield because it's everything. There's like product businesses and e-commerce businesses and services businesses and subscription businesses and SaaS businesses and software and all these different things, but they all have different uh, issues. Um, I mean, the ones that kind of I think work best are the SaaS things, not just because we understand it, but because we we know how sticky they are, right? Even yep. the poor ones, they're pretty sticky. So, yep. you know, if customers sign up, you know they're pretty much going to pay for at least three to six months. It's yep. not like with an with a Amazon FBA business where Amazon changed the algorithm and you know you do you did two hundred grand this month, the next month you do two. Yeah, no, I um, would never buy an Amazon FBA business unless it's based on a product that's unique. But not yes. like I'm not selling pencils and envelopes and you know. God knows what the fuck they're selling, but like, I know how this works. That's why I'm not keen on, I'm, I'm not the guy who can use this, what is it called? Jungle Scout tools and this kind of stuff, you know? No, no, no. That's uh that's a bad, bad idea. And if, um, the, yeah, anyway, I've seen it, how it works and I'm, I don't, I'm not interested and I don't know how to make it work. Yeah, um, the way I think about that is a bit like being a day trader. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like yeah, you can make money and yeah, if you're intelligent and you know how to do it, but you're the you're on the wheel every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to constantly <laughs> look and test new mo um products and screen and not no, it's not that's not really good. I, I'm not that's a really not good a business, idea, I, I don't think. Yeah. Um yeah. No, I think that's cool. Um, I mean, there's other things that you could talk about. We could keep on going, but I'm not sure we should. Um, other things like why this is easier for us than for other people and why we have some advantages. But I mean, yeah, it's sure. quite obvious, like technology and finance knowledge and maybe... No, but like we have to imagine that the person listening doesn't have any, doesn't have the full context. So yeah. I think maybe talk about that for five, 10 minutes. It's not a bad idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so on the technology side, obviously I've done software engineering for a long time. You're a software engineer as well. Um, but your finance experience, I think is stops us from going off the cliff. I think maybe if you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. No, no, I, I think, I think the software stuff is important when, you buy a software business, of course. Yeah. Um, so if we buy a SaaS and, you know, we don't have to hire expensive people or, like, we can see why they hired expensive people that are not necessary. Or maybe they're, like, engineering a lot of stuff that, you know, is important to them but not to the customer and all of their money comes from the same core product that's already been finished years ago. Yeah, which is easier for us to see because we're an outsider. We don't have the biases that they have, right? All yeah, and we've done it they have and stuff already. Yeah, exactly. So product market fit research, basically, over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, 
or, or the other way around, like to do like this whole product management stuff where you see stuff that they're missing out or they're just not engaging with the clients, right? And they're just building, they're just like visionary kind of guys that are in their basement building stuff that geeks like, but the broader market doesn't really see as valuable, you know, could be as well, could be the case. Yeah, I think now, based on my experience, I think anything is possible uh, because I think, you know, there's many preconceptions you have or uh, ideas you have about a business. And then when you actually peel back the onion, there's probably like other things that can be done that, you know, we don't even consider during the due diligence process. Um, yeah. I think of countless examples of other businesses that they start off with one strategy and then you find out the one that grows them is something completely different. Um, yeah. I think there's also to add to that is the um, economies of scale, which I guess would come later versus upfront. But if we had say four or five of these, we wouldn't need four or five separate teams. We could have one team to run all of them. Yeah, which yeah, which brings down the monthly costs by quite a large factor. Yeah, um, that's true. And the other problem is, I think that these businesses you can't sell to VCs because they're too small. Not only that, but they're also because there are people that are in the seed stage and so on, but they're not only too small, but the, 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 the founder wants to get out. And one of the key problems is like, you can't sell just a raw shell of a business without the key founder you know, key people there. So that's why they're selling yeah. for such a deep discount, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, ex yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So of like, course. You can buy them and you can like automate them to the degree that you can sell them. Then the multiple will go up on these businesses because you're opening a market that previously like wasn't, you can't turn up at a VC and say, look, I want to sell this business, but I'm not going to be there. And I have nobody to take it over. So <laughs> they then say, it's fine, but we're not going to buy it. So, no, I agree with, I agree with that. Um, so, yeah, yeah I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's something I'm not even considering at this stage, which is the selling part. But you're completely right, because if you package these up correctly and you build the teams within them, you make them like their own machine yeah. that has no involvement of anyone as far as um, us at the end, then you you change the price of these things by quite well, orders of magnitude, I guess. I mean, you can buy them at one to four times earnings and potentially sell them at five to ten or fifteen, yeah, yeah. who knows? You know, I'm not saying that that's easy. I, to do. I don't want to dream, but that's not easy to do. But but it's no. but it's definitely possible, you know. So that's what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. So that's why where I think like uh, most people don't think about these things. I think. I think most people think about like I'm gonna buy a business and then run it and make some money. Like yeah. Yeah, it's very short-term, very um, very short-sighted. They're not considering all those options. Yeah. yeah, and also they wouldn't know how to talk to investors. They, they wouldn't even know who the investors are. No, exactly. They're just thinking, I've got this in my bank. 
or I've just pulled this out of my house and here's this thing I could buy that I kind of understand and it will make me five grand a month. The other thing is when you talk to the investors, you need a pitch book and you need to address all of these questions beforehand because if you don't have it, And if you don't know what they will be asking, you don't know how to use their language, they will, they are, you know, they're not stupid. They know that you may not know, but if you don't tick the boxes, like they see hundreds of deals and they do exactly what we're doing. They're like trying to kill as many deals as fast as possible. Yeah, they have a checklist. That they're yeah. working through all the time. And if you don't know what they're talking about, they'll also take advantage of you. They'll give you very, very, you know. Strange terms. Yeah, yeah. strong terms. Strongly favored for, to, in their, like, strongly in their, to their advantage. And then, you know, later on, you become a slave basically working for them. Yeah. Yeah. Or like just a slave, a.k.a. a glorified employee with some very small amount of equity. Yeah, agreed. Very, so like, I mean, and that you, you've seen, I think, partly before, but it becomes more extreme with the VCs because they want board meetings and growth numbers and all of that. And, and, and as something I'm not, I wouldn't be too keen on either. That's what I'm trying to say. No, me neither. I think that's um, that's very possible, um, especially with certain types of investors. I can think of some that I know <laughs> they would want, they would want you tied to it like a ball and chain. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. So, but it's all about setup. I think if you set it up correctly from the beginning, you don't have to do any of that stuff because ultimately, all they care about is the results. Um. So it's up to you to shape that stuff. And, uh, you know, if that involves other people, then that's so great. It's all a numbers game. You have to screen many deals. And once you have Absolutely. one, you have to screen many investors. And only if the stars align do you actually do it. Because otherwise, you get screwed with a bad deal or screwed with a shitty, you know, investor that squeezes you. So... <laughs> yeah i think i think one factor to um as a knockout which i guess we're probably doing obviously is that you don't want to buy anything that has a massive cost structure that is pretty fixed because when thing goes things go bad in the business it, won't, it doesn't necessarily go from high profit to low profit it goes from um a cost to the equity holders per month by a significant factor yeah. and I know that from in property and I know that from in my last startup. And I think that's also what you can potentially do. You can potentially buy these things and they look great. And then when they go bad, they don't just go, oh, we're not making much money each month. They go to like, oh, we're in the hole each month for three grand. All yeah. of a sudden, your profits, you get this massive swaying effect of like profits to massive losses. And um, I think that's something most people when they get into investing, whether it's in property or these businesses, they, they, they're very blind to this stuff. Um, I certainly was, um, yep. maybe it's obvious to you, but it's, uh, it's, I think it's a very important part to screen out. When you look yeah, at these no, things. it's not all, all obvious, but some things are more obvious when you've worked in this field, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's considered liabilities. So you don't really want many liabilities in the business. You kind of want zero, basically, asset light, nothing really. There's just some kind of very small operational cost if it's running. And if it's not running, it doesn't really cost you anything. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Ideally, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. I think as they get bigger, that luxury disappears. Um, but um, yeah. in general, yeah. I think that's really important. Um, yeah. So I think that kind of summarizes what we're doing and what we're looking at. Um, I need to complete some due diligence on one of them that I'm currently looking at. Um, I've currently got the founders uh, putting in details for bank details and stuff. Um to verify transactions, but and you're looking at one right as well that you're doing DD on, and uh, your yeah. brother's doing some more screening. So, but exactly. mm-hmm. I think the thing you said the other day was important, which is in the most extreme example, if this takes us six months to a year, uh, but then we don't, you know, break rule number one, which is don't lose money, then uh, all is good. Which obviously we want to do something sooner, but. I think that's the right attitude to baseline everything because as you said, which has been in my head since we spoke about it, it's very hard to make money and it's very easy to lose a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I think it is. No, I think it's true. Yeah. No, I think it's fine. Like we don't need to make money fast. I think, yeah, we're looking, I mean, next time we speak anyway i think we'll talk about like how to you know do the minimum amount of dd yeah to like yeah anyway it's already very detailed then but the 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 whole process like the other big mistake you can make is like find a deal and like analyze it into the detail of the detail and then you go out to investors and you find that none of them are interested. It's <laughs> something in between, right? You need to, you can't go with a shit deal to the investor because if you do that too many times, they'll just won't reply anymore. But if you yeah. do DD to like a very granular level before you go out, you a either lose the deal because you waste time or you find out the investors are not interested. So there's a sweet spot somewhere. Yeah. I think, um, I was reading these tiny capital guys and I looked at what they do for their DD. And the, the first thing they do for their DD is they send, they say, look, we're not going to interrogate you about everything. Just send us all your bank statements. And they kind of take the buffer approach of just look at the numbers and the numbers will tell you what's going on. And then if that passes their filters, then they'll yeah. do other DD, which I think is like literally, uh, it's kind of what you suggested with this one I'm looking at and it's um, extremely helpful. Yeah, um, the real numbers. Yeah. Because that, dri- that drives all the questions then. You can say, oh, what's this transaction? and Why was there this at this time? And that kind of really dictates what has gone on in the business versus like, what they're portraying um or what's on the pnl so yeah that's yeah. why buffett does it because he doesn't he doesn't want to have to travel it's he it goes against the volume strategy that's why he does it he wants yeah to exactly sitting there and reading and if it doesn't doesn't now if he doesn't like it he's just i have too many other options i'll just move on if you have to visit every little thing, every little company and 
it just doesn't work that way. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, do you have anything further to add, or should we end? Should we finish? Up no, there? I think we can finish. I think this is anyway work in progress, right? We just started looking at these things, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Until next time, then. Okay. See you next time. See you later. Cool.